to uh, add my welcome to all of you this morning and a special welcome to our uh, Facebook live broadcast brought to you by Brock Lush. And um, all of you out there, hi, we're glad you're with us. Um, welcome to week two of Building Strong Families. I'm super excited about this as I reflected on what happened last week, how we got started with the design of the family and uh, where we're heading and the things that we're looking at through this series. I really expect God's going to do some amazing things shaping our families and also our impact in the, in the communities around us. So last week we, uh, we looked at Genesis 1 to 5. We saw the foundation for human life, which we've been talking about this morning on Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, we saw God's created order, uh, the design for uh, man and woman, uh, one man, one woman together for a lifetime, being fruitful, multiplying. And we also looked at the grace of God in continuing to pour out uh, onto uh, Adam and Eve and the, and the rest of their family line. And that we're seeing here in this first five chapters of Genesis a very strong foundational design for the family. And today, and when we, we looked at that, we summarized it with this little definition. Uh, the family design is, is to be an overcoming, multi-generational team of disciples filled with love and grace on mission to bring the kingdom into all their domains. And we're going to keep building on this as we look uh, less at design and more at mission today. We're going to be looking for looking at how God's plan was to win the entire human race, is to win the entire human race uh, uh, through families. And, and that becomes, in, in a sense, our, our collective calling and mission. So we're going to look at God's mission for the family. And I want to start this morning just by throwing out, let's throw out our ideas on, on what we think God's mission for families is. Just throw that out as you have been thinking about this. Uh, anything that hits your mind? Raising godly children. Raising godly children, okay? We had a wonderful testimony to that this morning. What else? Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Yes. Sharpen each, Sharpen each other. To be an example of Jesus' love to the world. To be an example of Jesus' love to the world. Anything else? Sharing each other's burdens. Excellent. So when we think about our mission as a family, uh, we've, got, we've got lots going on. And what I want to do this morning is do a 30,000-foot survey of Genesis 6 through 11 and actually into the beginning of, of chapter 12 and look at what was God doing. We saw last week that he put a a man and a woman in the garden told them to be fruitful, multiply. He also told them to tend the garden. So we know there's work involved uh, in God's plan. But let's take a look at, at what's going on. And we see at the beginning of chapter 6 that God has seen the wickedness going on on the earth. He basically says, uh, I'm going to reduce the lifespan um, from 900-something to 120. Um, in order that this wickedness would have the least effect as possible. And then he said he's going to uh, 
bring judgment on the earth. So he calls Noah to build him, to build an ark to preserve all the animal life and to preserve his family. And so Noah goes out and uh, builds this boat. Now, we've got a live-sized version of it uh, sitting uh, south of uh, 50 miles south of us here in Kentucky. And I brought my grandchildren uh, to see that this summer. And I was absolutely blown away with how big it actually is. Um, it apparently is the biggest wooden structure on the earth right now. Um, and next slide, you see just them standing in front of it. It's just a massive, uh, a massive thing. And I, I think of uh, how they must have thought this guy was crazy. He's talking about a flood. He's talking, about, it had not rained yet. Like on the earth, it was just this mist system that was going on. It had not rained. There were ships that were being made at that era of human history. But he is building this ship somewhere far away from water on land. And he's building this ship. And Peter says he is a uh, preacher of righteousness. So somehow Noah in this time period is preaching and he's warning people what, what God told him what was going to happen. And so uh, we, we read in the genealogies that he's about 500 years old when he becomes a father of three sons, and he's about 600 years old when the, ark, uh, when the rain comes. So somewhere in this 100 years, uh, he's building this boat, and imagine how crazy people must have thought he was. Out here building this giant boat, and uh, it's interesting... How, how many ended up being saved on the boat? I got seven, I got ten. Eight. If you look at the Chinese language, the, the pictorial thing for boat is, a ve- is, the, is the pictorial thing for vessel and, the, and eight mouths. That's the Chinese word for boat, uh, telling us that after the confusion of the languages, some people... Uh, some people went to China. But here we have this, uh, this uh, incredible picture. And um, Jesus said that when he comes back, it's going to be exactly the way it was in the days of Noah. People are going to be getting married and doing this and doing that. And judgment is going to come on the earth. And so this picture in the, uh, this next slide is this horrible picture of the uh, world uh, caught with the reality that what the Bible says is true, what God says is true. And it, it ought to, at least it motivates me to want to get the word out to people I love and people I know. And um, the flood happens, uh, Noah the boat lands somewhere in the mountains of Ararat. That's in Turkey. When, when you have time this week, Google uh, discovery of Noah's Ark in Turkey. And you'll find an incredible about 20-minute video of a guy who's been researching there for years. And the Turkish government has let him do this. And he has found a, a vessel of very old... Fo- very old wood that fits the dimensions and the dating and so forth of this 
uh, in the mountains of Ararat in Turkey. Check that out for yourself. Uh, I don't know, but it's a, it's a very compelling story. Anyway, he uh, comes out, he plants a vineyard, gets into a little trouble, but God says, be fruitful and multiply. So God repeats his command from Genesis 1, and Noah's three sons actually seem to go out and do that because in chapter 10, which is called the Table of the Nations, you see these three having 70 descendants. And these descendants become nations. There's a descendant called Egypt. There's a descendant called uh, Javan, which is, uh, has become Greece. And uh, so this is going on. However, in chapter 11, we see that they move east and they begin to build a tower, the Tower of Babel. This is an illustration, a, a painting. It may or may not be accurate. I, we don't really know what it looked like. But here we have uh, the story of one world order. Everybody's speaking the same language. And humanity says, we're going to build a tower to the heavens. And we're going to do that to make a name for ourselves. And we're also going to do that so we don't get scattered over the earth the way God wants us to be scattered over the earth. And how we're going to do it is we have technology. We have a new technology, which is bricks cured in fire. Bricks cured by fire. This is the technology that's going to allow us to build this thing to the heavens. We have a lot of technology today that we think is going to save us. We have billboards around town saying science is our hope. We have uh, the very same tendencies to lean on our technology as these very primitive, these very ancient humans did. Not primitive, but ancient humans. And so we see here this story developing where God uh, comes down and sees what they're doing and he sees this tower coming out of the ground and he says wow if they if they can just keep doing there's no end to the evil they will conjure up interestingly enough when they built the european union parliament in strasbourg they built it to this design they built it to this design it it looks like an check it out it looks like an unfinished tower of babel fully knowing the meaning of what that was. They are setting out to build in the European Union something for themselves that will be glorious around the earth. And so you see this tendency. It's not a new tendency. It's not a new thought. It's not a new human pattern. And so God decides to come down and confuse the languages so they can't communicate with each other. And from that moment in Genesis chapter 11 to the day of Pentecost Sunday when God released the gift of tongues so that all the nations could hear the good news uh, and, and therefore at that moment reversed the curse of Babel uh, that was on the human race. But now we have uh, the, the nations, the descendants of the sons of Noah uh, spread out. They're forced to spread out because God confuses their language uh, and maybe they can't get along anymore and so they go find their own thing. And this is where the nation spread out 
Um, the uh, orange ones are the descendants of Ham. The uh, purple ones are the descendants of Shem. And the green ones are the descendants of Japheth. And so we see here in these five or six chapters, we see the frustration of God's mission. Because he started and made us to multiply and rule the created order together. But that didn't work, so he had to evict us from the Garden of Eden to work the ground that Adam was made from. Humanity is corrupt and full of violence. So Noah, and, and the violence continues. Did you hear those stats earlier? 60 million American babies, 1 billion children uh, in the last 100 years. Uh, violence done to those who should be most protected at that moment in their life. Noah is chosen by God. He doesn't quit. He finds one family who's righteous, and he is in that righteousness to build this ark. And then after the flood, God starts over again with Noah, be fruitful and fill the earth. And Noah's sons actually seem to do this. And then uh, at Bethel, man uses his technology to make a name uh, for himself. And then God confuses languages so people uh, have to spread out. And what we see here is that God's grace continues. It continued through the line of Noah in the generation, starting with Shem, uh, which, which means name, uh, through to Abram. And uh, what we see here is that man wanted to make a name for himself, and God said, no, I'm the one who's going to... Uh, fulfill his plan and I'm going to give this man the name name because I'm the one men does not make a name for himself I'm the one who assigns your name and value and we see here that uh, in that Genesis 11 genealogy notice that from Shem all the way down to Abram uh, in chapter 11 the, the, the genealogy reads and he lived, 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 and he lived. Look at the genealogy in chapter 5. It's he died, he died, he died, he died, he died. So God is bringing a message of life, a message of hope, in through this genealogy in chapter 11. Now, here's the line of God's grace from Shem all the way to Abram. He starts with Shem which means name. Shem is where we get the term Semite from. So all the descendants of Shem are Semites. Uh, he, he is, uh, Arkfixad is a releaser. Uh, Shelah is to, is, means to sprout. And Eber, which is where we get the term Hebrew, is meant to be uh, in a region beyond. So God wants to release humanity to go into a region beyond, to spread out, to sprout, and uh, in those regions beyond. They battle God. They disagree with God. And so what ends up happening is he has to divide the human race by confusing the languages, which is what Peleg means. And then after Peleg, he finds a friend. There's a branch. Uh, and then Nahor snores through his calling and misses it. Terah delays in Haran and dies because he's not following the call into the promised land. But Abram gets the call. And Abram, his, his name means exalted father. So 
Abraham, Abraham is picked, he's a pagan, rich businessman, basically. He gets called by God, which again is a total thing of grace. He has done nothing to earn this. Early in the book of Joshua, uh, sorry, late in the book, early in the book of Judges, I think, uh, Abraham's family is called idol worshipers. So he comes out of this culture of idol worship and he is called by God, which is pure grace, and he is now going to be the one through whom God writes a new chapter in human history. God hasn't given up. He still has a plan, and now he's going to call Abram to that plan. So Abram, and by the way, to be called Abram and to be an exalted father and to have an 80-year-old wife who's never had a child is kind of embarrassing. He's the exalted father, and he has no kids. So he goes on the journey, and he makes this journey in response to God's call, goes all the way around the Arabian desert. That's why he doesn't go straight through. That line forms a crescent. That's called the Fertile Crescent around the the major rivers there where you can actually get food and so forth. And he, he comes down, and he is given this incredible promise from God. Let's read it together. Chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. An incredible good news that all of the earth is now God's strategy and God's vision. And through this family and its descendants, he's going to bless all the families of the earth. And therein we get this renewed call to come through all of this evil, all of this disobedience to one man and to put his plan on on one man who simply believes him. He simply believes him. And when Abraham, Abram believes God, God says, you are righteous because you believed. You're not righteous because you're smart. You're not righteous because you do good things. You're not righteous because you went from A to B. You're righteous because you believed me. It's the same thing with Jesus. We're righteous not by our good deeds, but by placing our faith in Jesus. And so that pattern begins right back in Genesis 12. And all of the evil patterns we've just briefly noted this morning are still very much alive around us. And so we can summarize the, the mission for Abram's family with a few points. To bless the whole world, to live in God's favor and protection, to worship the Lord, to walk with God as a friend by faith, to build a welcoming household, to give refuge to those in need. We skipped over chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, but there, among other things, Abram rescues his nephew Lot, and we find out in that rescue that Abram has 318 trained men in his household. He is a father who is building an extended household that is rescuing Lot, providing food for those who are hungry, whatever. He has a father's house that is 
like the heavenly father's house. And this theme of father's house will come all the way through the story, all the way through the scriptures. But that's why I said last week, all of us are destined to be Abrams and Sarahs. We're all destined to build homes and families that will be a refuge for those around us who are in need, for those around us uh, who are uh, in, in that place of uh, requiring love and assistance. And it's at this time that God changes Abraham, Abram's name to Abraham. And what he does there is he actually puts part of his name, Yahweh, he takes part of that and puts it in the middle of Abram and turns it into Abraham. He takes Sarai and he turns that into Sarah. What he's doing is he's actually putting his name on them. Now, fast forward in the book of Numbers, they will tell the Aaron and the priests to bless the people. May the Lord uh, bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and, and may the Lord give you peace. And we usually stop there, but there's one more line in the blessing, which is that, and they will put my name on them. So the priests literally hold their hands like this. This is the first letter in, in uh, Shem, in Hashem. I will put the name of God on the people. This is what God did here for Abraham. You know, Leonard Nimoy grew up in an Orthodox Jewish home. When he was trying to figure out how to do a Vulcan greeting, he picked this. Little did he know that this was... Uh, he knew where it was from. It was from the priests in his Orthodox synagogue blessing the people every Sabbath and putting the name of God on them. This is what happened to Abraham and Sarah. And so they're off, and they're on an adventure to follow God into the promised land. They're living in tents. Uh, here's a picture. Uh, I, 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 it doesn't quite do it justice, but there's a starry night. There's a friend of mine who took this picture. His name is Jake Graham, and he has Jake Graham Photography, Canadian. You can go on his Facebook page and see stunning photographs uh, as he has been adventuring through the northern part of Canada to, to show off the creation. And this is the adventure we're in. Abraham will live in tents, uh, but he's looking for a better country, according to Hebrews 11. And this is what we should be looking for, a better country, which is our, our true home. We are, we are here now, but we're citizens of heaven. And so we should be looking for that better country. So now, follow through the story all the way, and now with Christ... Uh, here's what Paul says in relation to this story I've just sketched out for you briefly this morning. Paul says this in Galatians 3, starting in verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that is all nations, and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations, families will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We're blessed along with Abraham, brothers and sisters, and Sarah. For all 
who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does things will live by them. So if we're looking at our own decisions, our own uh, code of conduct, our own righteousness, and we're looking uh, at that as our salvation, that we're somehow good people, we are cursed. Because the gospel says the righteous will live by faith. That is, those who believe Christ will be made righteous by their faith, not by their efforts to fulfill the law. Finally, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. It's a curse trying to be your own God. It's a curse trying to be your own code manager. It's a curse trying to live up to perfection. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. That is awesome. And, and then he says, he redeemed us in order for the blessing given to Abraham might come to Gentiles, all nations other than Jews, uh, is included here, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And of course, this goes to the Gentiles and it goes first to the Jews. It's the same message to the whole world. Trust in Christ and uh, receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And now Paul along with Jesus, tells us exactly how to do our mission. We've got this mission to go to the world with this good news. And the good news is we don't have to do it in our own power. We get the Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit in us that will give us the power to carry out that adventure. And so we're now standing on the edge like this guy in the next picture We've got this mission to bring the good news to the world. It seems overwhelming. It seems really difficult. It seems like unbelievable. How's that going to happen? Most people are are rejecting uh, the Lord. But this is for Muslims, for Buddhists, for the nuns, those who have no religious affiliation. Um, And how every single one of the heroes in the scriptures was imperfect. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, King David, Joshua, King David, Saul. They're all imperfect. But they all walked in faith. And you know what? Because they did, they were different. They were different. And we ought to be different. We ought to be a little weird. We ought to be a little weird. We're different. Because we are walking to the beat of a different drummer. Aren't we? This is not normal. This is not the way it is. But this is the way of Christ, to walk with him. And so let's summarize the mission so far. God's mission for our families is to have an adventure with God together, to walk in the faith and the blessing of Abraham, to expand the Father's house, to spread the blessing to all the world. And our hope is that one day we will populate heaven 
God, God is sending them out, inviting Jesus, does the parable of the wedding feast. He's sending them out. Everybody's got an excuse. Keep going. Go over here. Oh, they don't want Hey, I want my father's house full. So then go to the byways and the highways and go everywhere you have to go and invite them all in, the blind, the lame, whatever. Bring them in. Everyone is invited. And so this is, this is our mission. This is the mission of a family. And uh, I, I was stopped in my tracks this week by this email that I got from the Barna Group. And it said, churchgoers, have you heard of the Great Commission? 51% said no. Never heard of it. And then that green dot over there, uh, 20-some-odd percent said, uh, uh, yeah, I'm vaguely familiar with it, but I can't really tell you what it means, what it is. And so you're left with the, the red there, the 17% who understand what it is and who know what it means. And uh, from, from our answers at the beginning, I, I hope we're maybe a little bit a little bit above average, but here it is. Let's, let's read it together. This is uh, one of the last things uh, Jesus said in Matthew 28. You got that one? There we go. Let's say this together. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so Jesus, Jesus takes this, this first command in Genesis to go forth and, and, and multiply and subdue the earth. He repeats it to Noah. He repeats it to Abraham with a blessing. He repeats it all the way through. And Jesus finally comes and actually fulfills all of God's requirements for us. He does everything exactly right. And then and one of the last thing he says before he ascends into heaven as the risen king of the cosmos, he, he tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And I'm with you. And when I go with you, it's going to be a blessing. And every time we preach the kingdom, every time we announce that the kingdom of God is here, uh, God brings signs and wonders. God brings healing. We've seen this uh, in our, our walking out in the neighborhood and praying for people who get better. And we've seen it in Nigeria. And we've seen it all over the world. And this is the promise that God makes to us that he'll be with us. He'll be with us. So we don't have to go alone. It's, it's not a religious exercise. It's taking the joy and the confidence that we have in him and bringing that to the world. And he wants us to succeed. And just like Moses, he said, I'm going to take those people out of Egypt. I don't know what I'm doing, Lord. I don't know what to say. Don't send me. Send somebody else. Or Joshua, you know, go in and take the land and I will give you the land. And I will subdue the land for you. And they did and then they stopped believing. And the whole whole process got bogged down 
because they didn't believe. Ditto for David, ditto for Solomon, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. But from the very beginning, God's had one mission, one mission, and it is the, the focus and the purpose of our families is to be disciples, authentic followers of Jesus, who walk in his power by the Holy Spirit, and then uh, making others aware and inviting them to follow Jesus with us. And so until uh, Christ rose from the dead, it couldn't be done fully. But now with Christ out of the grave and in heaven and us filled with the Spirit, we now have what it takes to do this mission. And he's cheering us on and he knows how difficult it is. He got killed for his trouble. So he understands. He understands how difficult it is. But what we can't miss is what's the mission? What's the mission? Because until we wrap our heads around that, until we make that the central focus of our families, like we prayed for Indigo Motherwell this morning, you, you can, until you get to that's the thing that we really need to focus on, everything else will crowd in. But if we focus on that, then all the other stuff, all the other stuff, being a blessing, welcoming the poor, all the things that we want to do, will we'll come through that one thing. So I want to revise our little statement that we started with this morning and uh, add some things to that. Let, let's read it together. An overcoming multi-generational team of disciples filled with love and grace on mission to make disciples and bring the kingdom into all their domains. And that is... That is the mission of God. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. And he will equip us. He will fill in the areas we need filling in. Um, and, you know, as we look at this series uh, on the Connect Desk, a lot of good stuff on the Connect Desk today. Go by there and get some of that. But I've put the whole game plan for this series uh, on there. I emailed it to you uh, yesterday uh, to take advantage of setting goals. Set some goals for your family. Until we, until we really lock into these goals, until we make these things our central focus, uh, we're going to be subject to the random challenges of day-to-day life. But if we make a goal, as all you runners know, as all you weightlifters know, as all you... Uh, let me, let, just, you know, when you set a goal... You, you, you tend to have a much higher chance of getting there. So if you would like to share some family goals, put them on these uh, things and write your address on the back. And we will pray over these things with you and then we will mail these to you at the end of the series to remind you uh, and encourage you. And then take advantage of the Saturday morning equipping sessions we're going to have. Take advantage of the uh, Sunday morning panels of expert parents, which are going to take place starting next week at nine o'clock. So if you want to visit those panels, have a discussion or prayer or get some counsel from an experienced or veteran family, then you can do that. We'll have an activity in the youth room for the older kids 
to be able to hang out up there while you go in and do uh, your meeting with the expert panels, which will be on this side of the second floor. And uh, walk through this and, and select these things that you think will grow your family, that will be a blessing to your family. But this, this, this mission, let's go back to the mission. This mission is an incredible high privilege. And you never know how God is at work. I, I've been working and uh, loving on and encouraging a young man uh, for quite a while now. And um, this Wednesday, I got a text from him. And I, I just thought, nothing is happening here. Nothing is happening. So I get a text. And it has a bunch of questions about fasting. So I'm thinking, wow, that's kind of weird. So I, I write him back. You know, here's what I think these passages mean. Why do you ask? So he comes back. Well, I'm having a discussion with a fellow Christian about some issues in fasting. I said, wow, so you're in community looking at the word right now. He goes, yeah. I said, oh, that's awesome. Do me a favor. Would you fast today? It was Wednesday. I was fasting Wednesday for a big meeting we had Wednesday night. And there were several of us doing that. And so I said, would you fast for us? we got a big meeting tonight. I'd really uh, be thankful if you would fast. And he, he goes, um, he, he writes back, absolutely. I've been fasting the last few days from when I wake up till 5 p.m. Last few days. And I'm thinking, wow, what's going on with this guy? So I write back. Uh, wow, that's amazing. How, how can I pray for you while you're fasting? He goes, I want you to pray for God to touch my wife so we can get on the same page. And I just went, Lord, you're way more faithful than I am. You are way more faithful than I am. And so in, in Mark chapter 4, where it's the parable of the sower sowing the seed... It says there that, first of all, it's the most important parable to know. And if you don't understand that parable, you can't understand any of the parables. But then it, it says, look, the, the, the seed grows. The farmer has no idea how it grows. But it grows. Why? Because the hound of heaven is at work all the time. He wants people to know and love his son, who is awesome in his sight, Way more than we do. Way more than we do. So I'm just going to pray this morning as we uh, conclude. Uh, I want to just encourage you to look at your next steps and make the most of these next 13 weeks where we're going to be in this. We're going to be looking at all kinds of aspects. But we get anchored right in the design of the family. We get anchored right in the mission of the family. And we're in a position... For God to use us and for God to grow us. And, and if for whatever reason, uh, you know, things haven't worked out, remember the message we heard this morning about abortion. Uh, your current family condition is way smaller than God. He can forgive you for mistakes you've made. He can restore your family. He can put back on the branches what the locusts have eaten. He can bring into fullness 
your family wherever you are right now. If you're adopting, if you're fostering, and it seems impossible, if you have someone living with you, if you're dealing with multi-generational issues uh, with parents, or if you're dealing with kids who are just not obedient right now, God, God, God knows that. God gets that. God has that. And his grace is sufficient. So the worship team's going to come up. And we're, we're just going to respond by, uh, by singing to the Lord. And uh, it's really his vision. This thing is all about his vision. If we go with him, he will make things happen. So let me pray for us. Father, I just thank you for, as I look out a, across the room today, I just, and, uh, and even knowing some of you are watching on Facebook, I just thank you for these families. I thank you for the various shapes and sizes I thank you for the generations. I thank you for the the way grandparents are building into their families. I thank you for the way they're serving together. I thank you for, uh, Lord, every, every step that we take towards Jesus. And today I, I just want to invite any of those who have not seen this clearly before, who have not uh, walked fully in this to get your vision, God. And I, I just pray that there would be a, a newfound fervor for Jesus in each person. Lord, that you would, you would pour out the gift of faith. You would pour out the Holy Spirit on this congregation, Lord. You would empower us, God, to get these things firmly set in our hearts. And that we'd take steps, Lord, from this day forward to receive forgiveness when we need it, to receive grace when we need it, to receive power when we need it. I pray for a a power of the living God to come through each family. I pray that we would look different, that people around us would smell the fragrance of Christ. And people around us would, would ask, what is it with you? That people around us would have their hearts opened by the love that they see among us and that there would be faith in this generation, God. So Lord, make us a disciple-making families. Make us passionate for you. Fill in around every area of brokenness and restore us, God, so that we can walk in your vision, your vision for us, God. We offer ourselves afresh to you. And Lord, thank you for the blessing of Abraham that is upon us today. In Jesus' name.
And Lord, we ask now that as we go from here, you'd fill us with your spirit afresh. And Lord, that we would joyfully, enthusiastically, and powerfully bring your love and your good news. And Lord, be those that invite and help others follow Jesus together. We thank you, Lord, for this amazing mission. And Lord, uh, we know it's not by our effort, but by your power that we will achieve it. And we thank you for that. So bless each family as we go, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a great week.